0: Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, we're thrilled today to be joined by Sally Courtard, designer and best-selling author. Sally also writes a great column for Country Living, Good Life in the Country, about her small holding deep in the North Yorkshire countryside. After studying archaeology and anthropology at Oxford University, Sally has spent the last 20 years designing, making and writing about homes, craft and outdoor spaces. She sees no boundary between the rules that govern good interior design and those which are needed to craft a spectacular studio or glorious garden. Sally, uh, many thanks for joining us and I'm glad you can.
1: You're very welcome it's lovely to speak to you.
0: I think I could talk to you uh, for hours about the trials and tribulations of the good life um, from the Country Living magazine. Sounds absolutely (laughs) awesome Uh, and mental as well Um, but uh, (laughs) but the podcast is about biophilia so I'll I'll try and hook it on that (laughs) as much as I can. Obviously you're keen to make good design accessible as possible and you've written over 20 books about restoring houses and designing interiors and outdoor living Um, Mm -hmm. I, I I love your little book of building fires and so if anyone's listening oh brilliant yeah. <laughs> it's really cool how to build a shed uh, another one yeah. and the Hitchhog handbook um Personally, because obviously I'm a creative, your studio, um, Creative Spaces for Creative People is great. And obviously Pure Living, How to Detox Your Home from BBC Books. Obviously, there's, there's many, many more.
1: You've um, got half my list there. That
0: was fantastic. <laughs> you knew that's buying my books. I <laughs> <laughs> absolutely love them. Um, beautifully produced and, and you write so, so well. I'd like to obviously focus on your book, uh, Biophilia. Mm. Um, that we can sort of riff off. And, um, and I really want to find out more about what biophilia means to you and how you think it makes a difference in people's lives. Just for the people listening as well, biophilia, this book, if you get a copy of it, it's absolutely beautiful. It was on Forbes magazine's five isolation must reads. So um, if Forbes say it, then you've got to go and get yourself a copy. So, um, <laughs> so Sally, could you um, start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Obviously you live in the country and have a small holding? I do, I do, and I'm not entirely sure how I've ended up here.
1: (laughs) Life's a kind of funny mixture of sort of journeys and crossroads and false turns and all kinds of things. So yeah, I've ended up in the middle of the North Yorkshire countryside on a small holding with my husband and three children and tons of animals and just managed to somehow carve out a life for myself that involves... Writing books, which is a passion and being surrounded by nature and looking after animals and just generally sort of feeling in control of my life and, and, and doing things that kind of um, I really enjoy. So for me, that's sort of
0: I feel like I've kind of hit the jackpot, really. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm so blessed to live in the countryside. Oh, sounds absolutely lovely. Obviously, you. just I've, I've, as kind of an aside, you read archaeology and anthropology at Oxford. Um, it might seem a far cry. I actually read classics at UCL, so my PhD was in um, Thank you. Greek and Latin. Oh, yeah.
1: we, we could bore each other with dry academic oh. <laughs> academic text. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. but you know I, I, I don't I, I don't think there's a massive gap between in a funny way lots of kind of academic subjects and biophilia or um, sort of interest in nature and things I mean certainly our, our kanams, um there's a big core of information in, the, in those subjects which are about how societies organize themselves how they relate to nature, how they build their homes and relate to their environments and stuff like that so pr- pretty much although they, uh, although my sort of working life seems to have sort of taken quite a few little kind of random turns here and there there is a kind of core principle that that runs through them which is to do with sort of how uh, looking at how people relate to their environment whether that's their cultural environment or their natural environment or their family environment all those kind of things I just find it I find people fascinating and I find historically it's it's fascinating how people have kind of solved the same same problems kind of you know over the centuries so so there's yeah
0: there's there, there are links kind of pretty much with all the books I do to that yeah yeah totally I totally get that I mean, obviously you're you really you clearly love and, and are passionate about our natural world and all the creatures and the plants that we share a planet with i mean what what um, you, what kick started that in you I mean what immersed you what you mean were you immersed in nature from a young age or I was really looking that I had a really free childhood so I was born and
1: brought up on the edge of Leeds um by two lovely liberal parents who were teachers who and, and we lived kind of on the edge of the countryside, really. We, we were in a village that had become almost a suburb of, of Leeds. and But we were right next to some really beautiful countryside. And so my childhoods were, were kind of wonderfully feral. Um, and I And I spent most of my time with my older brother exploring. And I mean, it sounds such a cliche these days, but, you know, lighting campfires, which is something I talk about in my little book of building fires and... Um, building dens and climbing trees and, and all that kind of thing and exploring my natural environment on my terms, which is um, which was really brilliant. And I've tried to kind of recreate that as much as possible for my kids, mm. but it it is a different it is a different climate that we live in. And and, and you know and we sort of we I think we're probably slightly more cautious as parents in this day and age mm. about letting our children have such kind of freedom. Mm. So maybe that's where the kind of love of nature came in um uh, my mum's my mum especially was always really passionate about wildflowers and and gardening and and my dad's really into to craft and woodwork and craftsmanship and things so you know there's sort of those kind of different angles um feeding into it but i think it was just it must have just been that the, the ability to be allowed to kind of be a child in nature um that sort of started it all off really um and then, and then, you know, as, as often happens, you know, when you, when you become a teenager and nothing's cool to do with nature anymore. So, you know, you go off and you want to live in the city. And, and I did that um, and quite enjoyed it. But, but eventually realised that kind of country living and, and, and that
0: kind of thing were, were where my heart was really. So came back to the countryside. Yeah, that sounds really great. As you say, being a child in nature, I think, um, I think if we could have, you know, if all children or, you know, all of us could have that um, early life in you know surrounded by nature and as you say on your terms you know being able to create dens mm-hmm. and just have that freedom as you say it's a different time now but um yeah it's, it's a, so important it, isn't is, it? it is and funny enough it's, I touch on it only briefly in the book really but uh, but the relationship between biophilia
1: and children I find um really profound yeah. and and I mean I don't go into to, to an sort of scientific detail in the book but but one of the things that keeps coming up time and time again from studies, where about the sort of health and well-being benefits of nature, is just how any benefits that we do receive are, are magnified in children. Mm-hmm. So you know, when and also the converse of that is that if children are deprived of natural surroundings, you know, it has such a kind of profound effect on their on their well-being. So one study, for instance. um, looked at the nature of play in children and how when children play in nature they play in a fundamentally different way than they do say with plastic toys or in a classroom environment mm. and that children in nature the play tends to be um, they take more risks and they're, they're sort of more physically confident um, and also the games that they play aren't as gendered um, as when they're in the classroom or when they're, you know, playing with pink toys or blue toys or that kind of thing. And, and, and that sort of, I, th- I found that really moving that, that, that children, if allowed to kind of play in a natural environment, aren't necessarily constrained by all the things that... Um, cultural ties and you know tv and classroom environments tend to push on them does that does that make sense
0: yeah, yeah. totally yeah no absolutely as you say it's that non-gender specific um it's mm. given that freedom it, they do play differently i mean even when mm-hmm. I mean, you were saying about when you were a kid i mean i remember when i was playing and you know in my in my mates and yeah just it just gives you um uh, yeah a sense of freedom actually as a child Perfect. anything yeah you can do anything it's also a sense of control you can be like you know the king of the jungle if you want and you know um absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and that you know this I mean there's been a lot of
1: work recently on and uh, intro, introverts and about how you know a lot of a lot of life isn't really set up for people who are sort of naturally introverted yeah. whereas and, and like the kind of peace and quiet and and like their own time and they don't necessarily need to feel surrounded by hundreds of people all the time mm-hmm. and and, and for me, kind of nature and being around nature and stuff really um, taps into that. Because I feel like that. I'm, I'm quite a chatty person, but I'm also quite an introverted person. I really like my own time and I like not to be surrounded constantly by people and noise and that kind of thing. And so, so you know, the natural world um, really supports, you know, both kind of personality types, sort of introverts and extroverts, which is maybe something that kind of urban life doesn't necessarily... Do so well.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm exactly the same as you. I'm the same. I'm chatty. Life and all of the party, but then I do like my own space and I like to be quiet. Mm. And I like to be away from it. I had a an interview with um, Andrea Harmon, who's the Innov- head of innovation for Echo Fun, You know the acoustic panel company fantastic yeah. yeah she's she's a real i mean she you know from a really scientific point of view she was and i thought this was awesome she mentioned mm-hmm. that sound sound doesn't ha- you know in nature sound doesn't have walls so mm-hmm. when we're outside the sound kind of just goes on if you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's kind of this mm-hmm. open space but when you're inside um you've got four walls so everything reverberates back on you so actually it has a de- de- you know it's detrimental effect on our minds on on our you know on the psychology of us so mm-hmm. um, yeah so I'm just getting exactly what you say about being outside in nature has that it's is a completely unique effect on us so. Um... It's, it's interesting actually making the link with, between
1: acoustics because one of the bits in the book I talk about is natu- nature's soundtrack and the fact that yeah. um, for so many people um, that kind of natural inc- acoustic environment is gone, is, has been removed by either traffic noise or you know the sound of kind of media and radio and tv blaring all the time and and, and I find it so fascinating that one of the massive trends at the moment is that people are using nature apps and, and nature sound apps to relax
0: yeah
1: and so you know t- to feel I mean my daughter listens to the sound of um, rain on her uh, on her iPad at nighttime just to kind of feel relaxed <laughs> I mean even though we're in the middle of the countryside it's raining most of the time she still listens to it on the iPad but um you know it's that kind of um, that, 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 that sort of acoustic ecology that that we're, we're, a lot of people are sort of really missing and, and I find certain natural sounds so unbelievably relaxing and um, you know and, and, and like bird song especially I mean this year in lockdown wow. I've, I've really noticed the bird song in a way that I, didn't, I haven't done previously Um, because obviously the the road near us has gone quiet and you know there wasn't so much air traffic and and just I think a lot of people suddenly kind of heard noises natural noises that they hadn't heard for a long time um which is interesting I do wonder like and this is just a slight random aside I do wonder how what the difference is going to be when electric cars finally become the norm because they're so quiet I mean I, I borrowed an electric car for a month to do a to do a kind of road trial on it for country living. And I was stunned by how quiet it was. Yeah. And it does make me wonder whether, you know, when our roads are quieter, um, you know, the safety sort of aspect aside of, of, of kind of whether people are actually gonna hear traffic coming towards them. But you know, the, the, the kind of, I don't think we're gonna miss all that sort of um, diesel and petrol kind of sounds and the sounds of the kind of combustion engine and, and, and things. I'm hoping that will make a difference.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. It'd be really nice. I kind of, yeah. I just bring on the electric car. I'm just going yes. to that mini, the mini electric car. Oh <laughs> so, yeah. You know, just have to save up a bit first. For... <laughs> have to sell a few more prints. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, what is it about the natural world that you love so much? I mean, what is it that really sings to you? Really, what what, what is it that you really love?
1: um well I'm quite an aesthetic person uh well I'm a very aesthetic person so and and so for me kind of nature's aesthetic I find really pleasing I love the colors of I mean uh, you know without sounding trite I love the colors of nature I love the patterns of nature mm-hmm. I love I, I love the kind of hues and the tones and the balance of, of of sort of the things that I'm looking at I'm looking at they always just always seem to kind of work and I love the fact that nature's not a static thing either so that so that you know, um, the seasons mean that every time I look out of my window, you know, no two days are alike, and and that's I, I find that so exciting and so kind of mesmerizing. Yeah. But also, I mean, I, I you know, there are so many things about I like about nature. You know beyond its kind of awesome power and 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 you know I I I don't want to be sentiment over sentimental about nature because nature can be can be brutal but mm. I love the fact that it's so it, you know it works it's 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 a bal- you know it has its own innate balance yeah um, and it's an uh, own innate rhythms and, and it's like a it's an amazing system that works and, and and so that kind of appeals to the sort of engineering side of my my brain yeah. and and you know sort of moving forward I, I can I can imagine that so many of the things that we struggle with at the moment to do with you know medical breakthroughs and all that kind of stuff you know the answers are already out there you know nature will provide them but we just have to stop kind of we stop have to to to, to being so cavalier with our with our approach to our natural environment I find that really depressing um, and upsetting yeah. So, but but, but but overall, it just it's just a, it's just a beautiful system that works mm-hmm. and has its own checks and balances. Um, so you know that that really sort of ticks my OCD <laughs> box. <laughs> well-
0: actually as well you sort of mentioned you kind of touched a little bit about the sort of environmental kind of side things as well I mean one of the things that I'm passionate about obviously is is the environment and Mm -hmm. there's a kind of I suppose there's a secret thing inside me that thinks well if more people bring biophilic design into their life and into their home and into Mm -hmm. their workplace Mm -hmm. you know they're going to respect nature they're going to sort of appreciate it in a different way so Mm -hmm. they're not going to stop chopping the trees you know they're going to stop chopping the trees down and polluting the atmosphere I kind of um
1: I, I couldn't agree I couldn't agree more and i think there's something i'm really hoping that um one of the things that i've uh, struck me is the fact that people haven't been a bit when people go on holiday Mm. away from their whether it's taking a weekend break or or, you know from their sort of everyday lives they at the moment have to remove themselves physically quite a long way from where they live to actually go. and so i find it, it it's interesting that people choose to go to the beach or to the forest or they go abroad or whatever to find the thing that, it, that they're looking for the kind of beauty that they're looking for yeah. and that and that in lockdown because we because that's been stopped and so we can't take planes and we can't go on you know journeys and all that kind of stuff yeah. it then makes you look really inwards about your own living environment and your own community and street and and village or town or whatever and i'm really hoping that that makes um, people focus a bit more on their direct communities and their direct living experiences, rather than feeling that, and you know, I, I can't possibly imagine what it must be like to, well, I can imagine actually what it must be like to live in, you know, some kind of awful situation where, you know, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a high rise and and, and it's, you know, there's, not, there's no greenery around and that kind of thing. So, you know, I don't want to be sort of say, you know, I don't to trite about it and say oh, you know we should all be you know planting trees where we live and things but but in general having a kind of awareness of your local environment and and knowing how to make positive changes to it whether that's in, through planting or whether it's on a kind of societal level where you you know you demand things of politicians where you say well actually you know i want a better community and i want better streets and i want yeah you know, living spaces as in green living spaces. Yeah. You know, they're all they're all things that kind of feed into this this idea that you know if we maybe looked a bit closer and stopped trying to escape from where we lived and you know maybe we might improve things.
0: Yeah. I think um I think that's right. It kind of sort of brings us on to kind of the next question really. Um obviously in this in this lovely book, um again listeners go buy it, um it's biophilia, um <laughs> you have this sort of subheading is you nature and home, it's, it's a handbook for bringing the natural world into your life. Um, I mean, I think it should be the handbook that everyone has in their house, in their workplace. Um, and it's like the place to go to kind of get inspiration about bringing nature inside. Um, and you just mentioned, I'm just gonna jump around a little bit, but you mentioned community just now, and in there's mm. some communal spaces. I mean, how can people bring biophilia into, into, into those sort of like community activities or community spaces or communal spaces that would actually make a difference? Well, do you know, I I think it's it's a really interesting
1: time to live in cities because um, on on one hand, um, you know, they are massively polluted places with lots of kind of social challenges, but yet at the same time, I, de- I never has there been such a kind of um, enthusiastic and engaged population who are interested in. In bringing nature into urban environments, and whether that's—I mean, I, I, I do quite a lot with work with um, urban beekeepers, or yeah. the, there's some fantastic organisations that focus solely on planting trees mm-hmm. in cities, and, and that's not just in this country; that's in America and and Europe as well, um, or or you know, community gardens, or urban farms, or yeah. or all these kind of things where. You know, communal spaces are being treasured and looked after by their own community. Um, I think those are kind of really powerful, powerful projects because they're they're not just about nature; they're about community yeah. and and people kind of looking out for each other and, and, and things. Because I don't think you can kind of view looking after nature without looking at how communities look after each other either. So for me, it's kind of political with a small p. You know. I, I, yeah, I think there's a big link between kind of policy and 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 people's sort of living environments and how they relate to each other and, and stuff. But you know, I mean, there are there are big glamorous projects as well. You know, you know there are lots of kind of especially in the Far East where um, architects are making living buildings you know where they have you know high-rises with these most amazing kind of um, living balconies or living walls or living roofs and 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 making you know the cities of the future will look hopefully quite different um but 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 at the moment now there are lots of community schemes where people can get involved um on a volunteer
0: basis certainly yeah no exactly in terms of like homes and workplaces i mean i'm i'm fascinated how you know see people are trying to go back to work and they're they're scared you know what i mean they're kind of it's almost like fear they're not sure mm. what it's going to be like mm. they're they're worried about space and stuff i've seen some really interesting kind of almost interventions of how sort of nature planting can be used to to break up the space to sort of help clean mm. the air and all that sort mm. of stuff. It, Obviously, it's, it's a huge kind of <laughs> question really and but but I mean maybe just even just sort of top line how do you see biophilic design helping workplaces and is it the same for our homes is it kind of the same sort of principle well the, the same the same kind
1: of principles underlie underlie it all and and, and very simply they're, they're they're about putting yourself in direct contact with nature and if you can't do that then putting yourself in direct contact with 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 nature's patterns and images and and rhythms and that kind of thing and I, and I go into kind of that in great, great detail in the book um, but in in terms of the kind of workspace question uh, i'm really hoping that that the biophilic approach to architecture and interior design becomes so commonplace and because it's so important for human health and productivity um, that it becomes as as absolutely normalized as Health and safety kind of legislation in the workplace, or you know, working time initiatives and that kind of thing. So that uh, and, and the, the the great persuading argument for for companies has to be that employees in working environments who are surrounded by natural motifs or plants or have decent views out the window or have fresh air you know washing through the building or all these kind of things that are the kind of core biophilic elements actually are massively more productive they're they're happier they're more productive they're more creative they take less sick days you know it's a tick 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 for if I was an employer of a big company this is really kind of like profound information yeah I don't think it requires huge kind of money throwing at it uh, necessarily I mean some you know some office blocks are, are awful and they're, ne- they're never going to be good places for people to work mm-hmm. and, and and you know that's kind of the result of sort of you know a lot of post-war you know sort of cheap building projects and things um but but I think a lot of workplaces you know with some quite sort of nuanced changes could make things so much more pleasant for for the people for the people who work there um So for me, it's a kind of, you know, I hate kind of surface treatments of th- of things and or, or like you know sort of superficial approaches to things and so and so to say oh well you know just bring just bring pot plants into your office and everything will be fine right. you know I don't I don't subscribe to that I think it's more profound than that I think it's you know allowing people you know access to outside space for their lunch hours I think it's about you know making sure that people are breathing really clean air and that, that they've got plenty of access to natural light you know all the things that make people happier and, 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 and better um, I think people should be sort of thinking you know employers should be thinking about
0: I mean how did you find out about biophilia or the sort of like the term biophilia in the first place uh, it must have crept in at some time I mean I, I because I write so many
1: I, I write so many books it's a kind of almost it's a compulsion um <laughs> that uh and a lot about and, and I write a lot about nature and um, countryside living and all that kind of thing, and but I also write about the built environment.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I must have kind of come across a term maybe ten, but no one was really kind of talking about it. I mean, there was—it's been—it's been absolutely the forefront of architecture and architectural thinking for a long time, and there are some really brilliant companies mm-hmm. doing really exciting architecture. But I always feel like there's a big remove between uh, a big distance between. Um, that kind of architecture and, and most people's like daily experiences. Yeah. So you know you can have these amazing schemes. So um, I don't know if you've been to King's Cross recently, but you know all the all the back of King's Cross station in London has been has been redeveloped, and yeah. and they've and and they've really thought about biophilia in that development and even though it's, it's a hugely urban environment and it's never going to feel like a forest or but they've done some really playful things with you know water fountains and some lovely planting and those sort of lovely breezes that are you know that move through the spaces and all that kind of some really nice views and vistas and things and I find that that I find that really interesting that that's kind of people are doing that here and now but there's a big difference between that and and kind of you know if you're living in you know a normal house in you know in a norm in a, in a, in, and you've got a sort of normal budget and you can't kind of completely radically change an environment so so yeah so by bioph- so getting back to your question about biophilia which is that i've sort of i've known about it for quite a long time but i felt quite frustrated because i couldn't really work out how you applied it um to your own life and also I like to know about what the actual science is behind it, you know, the neuroscience or the psychology or or that kind of stuff to see, because then it's more robust than when people try and knock you down, and say, well, biophilia is rubbish. It's all kind of airy-fairy, green nonsense. And you want to say, well, actually, no. You know, hospitals and doctors and surgeons and child psychologists say this, this, and this, and this, and this. And they have no agenda. So, um that's kind of partly the the reason behind the book as well
0: yeah and no, i think i think it's great and again you you know the, the, the beauty of this book i mean there's there's some great research and links at the back um of the book as well different references and that so again read listeners <laughs> uh, grab yourself a copy because there's some really interesting uh, references in the back of the book that you can uh, kind of follow up i mean just just sort of again top line i mean what do you think are the main benefits of biophilic design i mean i mean it's huge <laughs> huge question yeah. Well, on a
1: a really superficial uh, so for me they're sort of threefold so on a really superficial basis homes that incorporate natural elements or or workspaces that incorporate natural elements are really just lovely spaces you know you go into you can go into a house that's full of natural light breezes potted plants natural materials you know um you haven't got acres of technology around or you haven't got this sort of awful lighting or you know all these kind of things and instantly you you kind of feel at home so so on a uh, and on a really sort of superficial level you know biophilic buildings are really nice spaces to be in if you're interested in aesthetics Mm -hmm. then there's a kind of ecological Um, benefit which is that tends to be that biophilic design tends to be really also ecologically friendly because it would be I mean it would be awful if, if if loads of kind of bits of biophilic design actually destroyed the environment I mean you know what a cruel irony that would be so a lot of biophilic design is very sensitive about its use of you know wood and natural materials and it's very light in its approach of using using materials. Um, and so there's a lot of crossover with green design
0: mm-hmm. and
1: making spaces um, healthy for the environment and, and, and not kind of ruin the environment at the same time. But I suppose um, at its most kind of profound level, biophilia is important and its main benefits are for us mm-hmm. as people. Um, I mean, the science is overwhelming that if you design a space whether it's homework or you know wider communities that um that that sort of nurture nurture nature and people's relationship with it then the the health benefits and the well-being benefits for people are are, are multitude you know it, it, it lowers sort of negative um problems such as stress and heart related issues and problems related to the nervous system and you know we have a lot of problems with sleep in this country Mm -hmm. and you know if you start tackling things like air quality you know then that has a knock-on effect on things like asthma and the spiritual problems and stuff and so so biophilic design reduces the kind of negative problems that a lot of people have associated with buildings Um, and yet at the same time it also improves lots of good things. So, you know, um, you can improve creativity and productivity and feelings of, of contentment and connectedness with your outdoor space and all these things. So, so it's, it's a really kind of, it, the, the benefits, are, you know, are, are far-reaching and, and wide and all interconnected. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's a sort of really persuasive um, idea
0: yeah do you have a favorite sort of biophilic design solution <laughs> and is it different from like homes to workplaces
1: Ooh, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question um do you know um i, I don't really have a favorite because I, because for me my sort of my bug bears about different buildings that are often different when i go in you know sometimes you know the, the lighting's wrong and sometimes the heating's wrong and sometimes you feel you know the colours are wrong and all that kind of stuff um there's this is there's a cool idea and, and I know you and I know you picked up on it as well called alasthesia which yeah. is something that we sort of um don't really think about very much but it's a, it's the idea that humans get pleasure from, from certain stimulus, depending on what state they're in at that point in time. So that's a bit of a complicated way of saying. So for instance, um, <laughs> if you're really cold, you really enjoy the feeling of intense heat. Whereas if you're just a normal temperature, you don't, you don't enjoy that same temp- the same intense heat in the same way. Or um, if you're really hot and you have a glass of ice cold water, It's much more enjoyable than if you were just a kind of normal temperature and drank a cold um, a glass of cold water Mm -hmm. and it's this idea that we as humans enjoy these kind of extremes of temperature or sensory experiences based on how how where we are at that current point in time and so a quite complicated scientific idea can be translated into homes For instance, things like, you know, my kids love leaning their backs on the argo in the kitchen, even though it's actually too hot. (laughs) They come into school, they're freezing, and they love that sensation. Or it's the same idea that when you're really, really hot, you love jumping into a swimming pool or paddling in a stream or all those kind of things. And so I'm kind of interested to know about kind of how people are trying to incorporate that idea into buildings or the idea that you know, breezes are really important and not having a building that's one temperature all the time Mm -hmm. which is what most kind of heating systems aim for which is that we have just like a static experience of heat throughout the day and the night Mm -hmm. whereas actually humans need to be one temperature during the day and then a much cooler temperature during the night Mm -hmm. and that we enjoy these kind of this dynamic relationship with our senses and with the environment. Sorry, I'm i I'm, <laughs> I'm waffling on it for ages about sort of strange scientific ideas. But I love that because I think um, you know for so long we've we've been led to believe that our homes should be static places where the lighting is the same and the heat is the same and the views are the same and all that kind of thing. Mm. And actually that's not nature and that's not what we're what's not we what we've evolved to respond to. Mm-hmm. And so, making our homes a bit more responsive to sort you of know, changes, uh, I think would be is a really interesting idea to explore.
0: Yeah. Then when I when I read that in your book, this anesthesia. I thought, what's this? This is really cool. And like mm-hmm. you, with the whole academic brains, like I want to know more about it. So I thought I'll call you first. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure I've explained it brilliantly, but I you know, the, the only way I can thinking about it is literally a sort of warming your bottom on a on a on a, on a campfire kind of analogy <laughs> which is just that lovely sort of, you know that like delicious sensation of the front of me is really cold and the back of me is really warm kind of thing and I love that I sort of love that idea and it's yeah. true um, above anything else
0: yeah no I, I think that's absolutely brilliant um, as I said, you know, before, when I we spoke just before, I mean, when I read through your book, it was like I was speaking, you know, like like you were speaking to me or kind of I was speaking to myself. I mean, all the things you describe, um, you know, resonate really deeply with me. Um, you know, everything from like the nature soundtrack to natural light being near water, fresh air, moonlight. Um, I mean, you've mentioned as well views of nature. I mean, obviously, that's based on on sort of science as well. I mean, I set up my gentle wellness after both my mother and father were in hospital, and I kind of it was a bit of sanity for me. It's like, oh, I, I think you know this sort of whole. I've heard about biophilia, so I put in prints of my mother, and, and it did, and I actually saw for myself that it reduced blood pressure. It just helped to get better quicker. It helped to focus. It kind of not you know, she's sort of a kind of like delirium almost. Um, but um, that's,
1: so, that's so lovely. When you when you when you mentioned about that about about when your parents are poorly and the fact that you, you know, your, your approach to helping them feel better was, to, was to, to, to kind of bring in images of nature and things. I just thought that's such a kind of wonderfully intuitive approach to things and such a kind and caring thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it's also absolutely what the science is saying we should be doing and so you know when you, when you read studies about um hospital garden design and the relationship between views of nature and how well patients recover from operations and things mm. you know it's staggering the actual benefits i can't believe all hospitals i mean you know presumably it's a it's a it's a finances thing but it should be absolutely a fundamental part of of building design
0: yeah
1: i totally
0: to agree I, yeah. to I mean they could do it with you know I mean, you know, instead of buying like horrible plastic stuff or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. they can buy things that, that are still self-cleaning and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I interviewed uh, Dame Laura Lee, um, you know, from of the cat. You know, she's CEO of the Cancer Care Maggie's Cancer Care Centres. Right. She was saying that people with cancer, you know, they don't like that their, their sort of their their sort of senses are sort of hyper. Um, hypersensitive um, for yeah. the word and so yeah. when they touch metal handles it kind of affects them so a lot of their stuff is like sort of wooden handles or natural stuff so it just makes everything yeah. so much better I mean when, yeah. they're, when they're doing hospital I mean I just wish everybody like you say I wish they were all that was one of the reasons as well why I set the company up was that I kind of was out this sort of crazy altruistic thing that I want every NHS to be full of biophilia. I want every NHS to have like at least views of nature um, you know, I know they can't cut holes in the walls, and if they did, it'd probably be the views of the bins or, <laughs> or the car park or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean yeah. yeah. I know, and you know, and and the last
1: thing I want to do is 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 criticise the NHS because they do an absolute no, unbelievable absolutely. job yeah, yeah. With, with minimal resources, and so and so for me, it's a kind of uh, it's a plea to the it's a, a plea to the to, um, authority, you know, the wider, the bigger, the bigger authorities to say. You know, can can this be part of budgeting when you you know you're thinking about hospital design? Could mm. the, this this is something to be born in mind But you know, we've known about this for we've known about this for ages, and I write about this in the book. That yeah. Florence Nightingale, when she was helping the the soldiers in the Crimean War, you know, she wrote about the effect of fl- bringing flower, fresh flowers, into the wards, and that and, and that and that it that it helped prove improve the morale and and in in certain cases the healing rates of the the patients and you think it's long enough ago we should be doing something about this a long time ago
0: i agree i've just actually got that quote open here it says what florence nightingale wrote i shall never forget the rapture of fever patients over a bunch of bright colored flowers people say the effect is only on the mind it is no such thing the effect is on the body too so -hmm. just as you say i mean this is your quote that you've put in your book Mm -hmm. um, from florence nightingale um, yeah completely I mean that was way back then yeah. yeah yeah and the
1: mind and the mind and the body are, are, are separate entities yeah. anyway so you know if something does improve your spirits and your well-being and and your morale then then uh, uh, that has a direct effect on your immune system so you know it's an absolute no-brainer really isn't it
0: yeah I mean I suppose really sort of final question from me if you could paint the world with a magic biophilic design brush what would it look like?
1: oh my gosh <laughs> don't give me don't give me such power I, i'll need a cast on my, i need a cat on my lap and start kind of you know <laughs> thinking my evil plans oh my goodness um that fundamentally i think i would really try and um encourage city center authorities to to include more greenery in in, in, in urban spaces, Do you know, I'm just thinking about actually, we live. I mean, we live in the countryside, and the nearest town to us is a, is a town called Moulton, and it's lovely. It's a real kind of like old fashioned, um, gorgeous market town, and they've just built a big housing estate on the end on the end because rural housing is a real issue, and and I'm really pleased that they've that they've built affordable housing um, on the side of the of the town, and um, because it'll make a big difference. But the actual design of, this, of, the, of the place Incor- incorporates almost no natural greenery and these are people who, you know, who are, the people that are going to live there, live in nature, work in nature they will be farmers, there'll be farm- well they won't be the farmers but they'll work in farming industry or agriculture or all the associated, associated industries yeah. and, and businesses that, you know, support a, a rural community yeah. and yet the, the architects that have designed this community haven't taken that into account at all um, and you just think oh my goodness you know come on i mean it's probably a co- it's probably something to do with cost because these things usually are mm-hmm. um and but i just kind of think you know it makes me want to just kind of bash my head against a bit more well, because you just think you know living walls and, and and outside spaces and shared spaces and gardens and yeah. you know tree-lined avenues and all these things are just so important for kind of community spaces yeah um, I think, but we're okay. not doing it we're not, we're not doing. And maybe no one wants to pay for it uh, you know and, and 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 people just want to build things cheaply but it just seems a shame doesn't it really yeah so that's a bit of a negative answer to your painting uh, painting the world with a biophilic brush I, I, you know I, I feel a bit worried really about the long-term kind of future of of, of things because, and, and, and I worry about things for the kids um, in terms of kind of ecological stuff. But I also, am quite optimistic about the human race mm-hmm. and that I, I, ha- I have to be otherwise, you know, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't write books if I didn't think people weren't interested and wouldn't listen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, moving forward i think we'll find our. i think we'll muddle our way through and I, and I think the future could be quite exciting if people kind of really embrace and love nature and cherish it
0: thank you for listening to the journal of biophilic design podcast